0: to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff, a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto, uh, where I study media and religion and politics, and uh, I study how to better distribute coffee, I guess. I work at a coffee shop, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't (laughs) study it, I just do it. I make make money doing it. Yeah,
1: uh, you don't need to study, Uh, people need to study you. (laughs)
0: yeah that's right come on in free lessons (laughs) tips appreciated
1: Uh, canadians are uh,
0: extremely bad tippers by the way i just want to get that out there in public if you're a canadian and you're listening like please please tip a barista like at least like a quarter
1: oh man shots fired uh yeah i'm firing him no shame (laughs) uh oh hey i'm i'm matt i'm also on this podcast
0: (laughs) Uh this is this is now a podcast about tipping and leftist politics. Please tip your baristas. That's it. <laughs>
1: hey, I'm Matt. I teach media studies and cultural theory at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. My research interests are media archaeology um, and Christian leftist politics. <laughs> okay. So this episode's gonna be really cool. Um last week we did this big uh, sort of historical episode about a thing called Christians for Socialism. Uh, so if you haven't heard that episode yet, you can go back and listen to it in iTunes. Um, also, I mean, they're not it's not super important that you listen to these in chronological order. But if you want to, uh, man, can you? You sure can. Um, <laughs> so uh, we ended last week, though, kind of at uh, a low point in the story where Christians for Socialism in, uh, in Chile kind of came to an end because of um, a coup uh, against Allende. Uh, today, we're going to pick up the story again. Um at a sort of a different place though. Um so just because it was sort of the end of Christians for Socialism in one place did not mean it was the end for Christians for Socialism everywhere. Um so we're gonna pick up a thread of the story uh where Christians for Socialism uh goes to North America. Um so we've done some pretty cool research for this episode. Um probably the most fun that we've done yet. Um So uh, what we did was we got in touch with Kathleen Schultz, uh, who is the National Executive Secretary for Christians for Socialism USA for um, a handful of years. And we had a really fun phone call Skype conversation with her this morning. Um, She had a lot of really great insight to give us on uh, Christians for Socialism as a whole and what it looked like in the United States. Um, so we're going to get into some of that history here in a minute, but before we do, let's catch up just just a bit. Dean, what have you been doing this week?
0: What have I been doing this week? This past weekend was the 50th anniversary of my school, the Institute for Christian Studies. That was pretty exciting, so I went to like an all-day uh, celebration of that. Um, there's a lot of stories about how weird my school is. It was started by a bunch of hippies in the 60s, hippie Christians. So a lot of them were there telling stories about, I don't know, what it was like to study in Toronto in the late 60s and early 70s. That was really fun, actually, hanging out with all of them. Um, I learned a lot about my wild professors, how goofy they were. That was pretty neat. And, uh, yeah, that was a a good time. That was the highlight of my weekend.
1: Well, that sounds really cool, actually dang um yeah ics is such a cool place i'm always always forgetting that it's so cool
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one uh you should apply there's still time you can apply to this wonderful school ma phd programs it's a good good place to be go um, go there
1: ics is the <laughs> official uh the official christian higher ed uh establishment of the magnificast
0: <laughs> yeah whether they like it or not really i guess sorry it is I'm in a, a perennial argument with uh, my supervisor between uh, revolution and, and reformism, so you know it's an ongoing struggle. But it's fine; they they tolerate yeah. it. That's important. That is um, important. <laughs> Matt, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, wrapping up uh, classes for uh, a week. Um, I'm really lucky and happy to have the entirety of next week off because of Thanksgiving break, which is nice. like really weird and different. Usually, I don't have that much time off for thanksgiving but uh i'm uh, thanks giving for that break
0: that's <laughs> no, good uh yeah it's weird being in canada with no thanksgiving no american thanksgiving so enjoy oh it, lap it up. yeah
1: when's uh when's canadian thanksgiving
0: it happened already it happens in october it happens before halloween it makes no sense
1: what's the what's the tradition there do you people eat um a turkey or something
0: It's like American Thanksgiving, except uh, not American, and also no Canadian seems to be able to explain to me why, like, what they're celebrating. Uh, (laughs) I was like, well, like, in America, we have a very bad narrative about um, colonial powers and indigenous people being friends for a day, and uh, that's what we celebrate. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. We just get the day off, so... (laughs)
1: Uh, that's cool. They're, they're probably I mean,
0: like I'm sure there's some national myth making thing at the bottom of it, but it seems like the people I encounter are mostly just using it as an excuse to like get together and do the thing.
1: Yeah, well I can appreciate that though. Just taking a day off yeah. is good. It's good enough.
0: Yeah. Do you have do you have some sweet vegetarian turkey plants
1: going on? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh I I really love tofuricis. Um it's like one of my favorite <laughs> things in the entire world. Like some people like some people, like, love to hate on tofurkies but uh, they're good, and I don't care what anyone says. Um, to- they're, they're, like, I mean, I guess the most off-putting thing about tofurkies though, is that they're, like, this really weird shape. They're just, like, this, like, sort of round, <laughs> amorphous blob. Yeah, but on the inside, it's so good. Love, love it.
0: <laughs> Do you have to put a little, like, thermometer in there and everything?
1: No. I think it just, you just put it in the oven. It only takes, like, a little bit to cook. <laughs>
0: that's good uh um, yeah
1: we bought uh we bought two because so we we live in the middle of nowhere um and we were near a whole foods and we like ran in to get a tofu <laughs> and we just got like all of them <laughs>
0: <laughs> tofu for days yeah uh, so we got
1: good. we got one for thanksgiving and one for christmas so we're just set oh, nice yeah man i guess so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so good um But yeah, we're going to go to my mom's house and hang out there and eat the tofurkey. And uh, that's it. That's what we're doing. And I'm not going to work for an entire week. It's the best. Yeah,
0: that is the best. Uh, My mom's coming here for Thanksgiving and that'll be fun because I have to work every morning. So Uh, yeah, she's going to get a pal around here in Toronto. Yeah, that sounds good.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, My mom also talked to Kathleen on the phone this week. That's pretty great. So that I told really her, funny. she's she's kind of like my Catholic communist grandma now, I feel like. So that's yeah. a good relationship.
1: Yeah, it is a good relationship. Kathleen's so good. She's cool.
0: She is very cool. How do you like that for a segue, by the way? I dripped it right in, and now I'm calling attention to it, thereby making it explicit.
1: Yeah, you blew it.
0: I blew it. <laughs> I blew it. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't have a PhD in segues. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, let's get into this. Let's get into this segue. Take full advantage of what we've just done here. Um, so when we talked to Kathleen this morning, um, the kind of first question we asked was, how did this all kind of get started? What's the connection between uh, Christians for Socialism in the United States and Christians for, Christians for Socialism as it happened in Chile and uh, you know, other places in South America? Um, and she told us kind of a wild story. Dean, do you want to recant it for us?
0: Yes, let me regale you with this fascinating tale. I wish that uh, Kathleen was on the episode herself. She is open to being on it in the future, so we'll talk more about that at the end of this episode uh, because that's where you guys come in, listeners come in. But um, we can kind of relay to you just the information that she gave us, which is really helpful. So in Chile, uh, as we mentioned last week, Allende, the socialist uh, leader there, had been elected democratically and then was deposed in a military coup by a brutal us-backed dictator and there were people from a group called american christians towards socialism uh, abbreviated as acts and uh they were there in chile coincidentally as the coup was happening which was a really wild thing so acts had existed in the u.s for a little while kind of around in small pockets and they were trying to build solidarity with christians elsewhere so naturally they went to chile and when they came back to the U.S. after that experience, they felt the need to really kind of build that, um, that relationship more explicitly. And they were helped later on by the fact that many people expatriated from Chile to parts in the U.S. where Acts had several chapters, for example, in Detroit, where Kathleen Schultz was based. So it was a combination of American Christians who were interested in socialism being in Chile and watching everything unfold and being impacted by that. And also the people who are in Chile coming back to the United States and coincidentally uh, finding their way into these uh, these pockets that were kind of ripe for building this network outside of Chile and letting it kind of uh, live and breathe in other countries.
1: Um, so there's a lot of really interesting stuff to kind of pick up on here. Uh, but maybe I'll just jump into maybe the most shocking thing to me, to me. Um, what I found most interesting about a lot of this. Um, okay, and here it is uh in the united states in the 1970s there were multiple chapters of christians for socialism slash acts uh that existed throughout the midwest like it's so wild because i mean you don't think of that that doesn't even seem possible but um at the height there were 11 chapters of christians for socialism uh in the united states so there were chapters in chicago detroit dc iowa madison um Wisconsin uh, let's see Northern California Pasadena, Cincinnati New York City um, and then so it was all kind of based though around Detroit that's where the national office was um, so there were all of these different uh, small chapters just kind of scattered about they all they all had some you know different uh, nuances to them and different organizational sort of tactics and different interests um, but they all existed. Um, that's right. You heard it here in the Magnificat first. Real life, uh, Christian socialist <laughs> chapters, uh, existed in the United States in the Midwest. Um, it's so wild. So, um, it's wild for a lot of reasons. Um, so, uh, one place where we're finding some of this information that is really good is, um, it's an old journal uh, of a journal called Radical Religion, a quarterly journal of critical thought, um, which was published by this uh, group that was out of Berkeley on the West Coast. Um, so it, it has these profiles of all the chapters, and it kind of just tells you like a little bit about them. Um, my favorite one, I think, is the Iowa chapter. Uh, I'm just going to read this <laughs> really quick little blurb about it. Um, okay, the chapter in Iowa is defined by two main characteristics. Is a statewide chapter, and its roots are primarily in the Methodist Church. What's up? What's up, Methodists? You did yeah, it. You did it. <laughs> because of the wide geographical distribution, the primary activity as a chapter is the publication of a regular newsletter. The regular newsletter is called Acts 432 uh, for some obvious reasons. Look it up if you don't know or aren't familiar. <laughs> uh, Tattoo it mem-
0: bonded on your forehead and uh, your wrists.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, members are involved in the struggles of working people in their local areas, including strike support activities, and are deeply involved in the work of several local parish churches. Um, I I love it so much because like some place as completely, uh, completely Midwestern as Iowa actually had real socialists and Christians in it, and that makes me so excited. I can't even. Yeah. Uh, I can't even express it. Like, of course, of course, there were like chapters in Chicago, Detroit, D.C., New York, etc. But like places like Cincinnati and uh, <laughs> and Iowa uh, just seemed kind of wild and uh, pretty cool. Um, yeah, they actually existed.
0: Yeah, it was so weird talking to Kathleen. I mean, it feels too good to be true, actually. We've been reading so much of this literature over the last couple of weeks, and now that we've chatted with Kathleen, you know, putting some uh, some real-life voices to some of the texts that we've been reading, and... It's just crazy. I can't believe that it exists. I'm from Michigan, and I can't believe that it exists. Uh, It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I can't, I don't know, I can't really express how exciting it is to feel that way. I've been on a high, like, all day. Uh, I had to do a bunch of other stuff today, and all I could think about was talking to Kathleen this morning and about all these chapters. I mean, it is crazy that there is just a, a bunch of Methodists who hung out in Iowa deciding, they really needed to uh, to think through what it would be like to be Methodists, Christians, socialists all at the same time. Um, actually, Matt, I, I thought of you when she was mentioning a thing called the Radical Preachers uh, Handbook. Is that what it was? was uh, it actually, it?
1: Yeah, it's called the Radical Preachers Sermon Book, actually. Um, so uh, Kathleen was one of the editors on it, but um, the other editors are all um, Methodist preachers. So it's specifically this group of uh, Methodist preachers in Iowa who kind of put this book together and uh, I have it here in front of me because Kathleen was nice enough to mail me uh, the biggest box of good stuff in the entire <laughs> world anyways the uh, the book itself is really cool um, maybe we can tweet some pictures of it later or something so the cover of the book has like a uh, like a it's a it's a black book and the, and the word radical is written in like this really radical font um, and then there's like a <laughs> a great yeah, yeah, right. There's a raised fist on the front of it. And then inside of it is just like these um, all of these kind of like notes about um, preaching during certain times of the year. So like uh, there's a part. So it's all organized with the church calendar. Um, and uh, like the first part is about Advent and Christmas. And then the second part is about the ministry of Jesus and then Holy Week and Pentecost. Um, and then uh, there's some some more stuff about like ordinary time again. Uh so anyways, it's just this really cool resource that's full of like commentaries on different parts of um scripture and also like different sort of preaching ideas. Uh it's a really interesting book. Uh there's so much weird stuff going on. It's just like again, it's just weird that it's in Iowa and it's Methodist. Uh the people who I would like never associate with uh radicalism <laughs> of that type at least.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because she mentioned that their chapter had actually existed before the creation of ACTS, so they'd been around for quite a while.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, they, they've they been doing it. Uh, ACTS was, just, I guess, just like a platform that they could build off of.
0: Yeah, uh, speaking of kind of local chapters and what they looked like, how they differed, uh, we asked Kathleen a little bit more about the structure of the organization. So if you listened to last week's episode, you might remember that we were struck by, there was a strict disciplinary structure in Christians for Socialism in Chile. So, for those that didn't listen to it. Um, so, basically, they required you to reapply for membership every month. And uh, they also, if you, like, if you couldn't come, they would have to, uh, you would have to check in with them. And they would have to decide if that was, like, a good enough reason or not. Anyway, strong disciplinary structure. And we wanted to know if that was true in the U.S. And it's a little bit different. Um Kathleen really stressed that a lot of the organization was based around local initiatives and local chapters, but the national office was centered around dues paid by those chapters, and those dues went to pay for Kathleen's uh, salary and also her health care, which is pretty fascinating. So the organization in the U.S., as it kind of manifested slowly, was based around supporting these local chapters Getting involved in local struggles where they would end up rubbing elbows with other socialist organizations like the Communist Party, uh, the United States, the Socialist Workers Party. Those are a couple that she had mentioned. Uh, Democratic Um,
1: Socialists of America.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the old one before it got popular on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Uh, And then also the dudes went to a national body that uh, made up some really cool resources and distributed them. Kind of like the Radical Preachers Handbook, but also some study guides and pamphlets and articles and things like that so it's fascinating because the local chapters were very different she mentioned that for example in detroit they focused a lot on housing issues on utility bills and uh drug problems those were like the three things they were kind of zoned in on but other local chapters had other issues in mind But the uniting factor, I guess, is that they pooled all these resources to kind of keep building educational materials that they could then redistribute throughout the country and through their local chapters as a way of expanding the conversation around Christianity and socialism in churches, in other kinds of associations and groups. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a really fascinating thing. So they, they had been linked to Chile. That's where the kind of revolutionary angle came from. And then they found their own ways to connect that up into like real material, local, organized struggles.
1: Yeah. One more note, I guess, on on that dues money, all that all that good loot there again. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, like Dean said, they uh, they put some of that money towards creating like resources for churches and resources for the local chapters. Um, so uh, in that big, big box of stuff that Kathleen sent me. Uh, There are these two um, manuals or handbooks, I guess you might call them, um, put together by a part of uh, Christians for Socialism uh, called the Interreligious Task Force for Social Analysis, which is, I mean, not great branding, but that's OK. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's still good. <laughs> Anyways, these two manuals are really wild because um, they're full of really accessible, like sort of like Christian leftist articles um, stuff, uh, stuff that's like. Um, you know, not just about, like, deeper understandings of, like, biblical stories, like exegesis and stuff, but, like, actual essays uh, that are about reading the Bible through the lens of historical materialism, um, essays about um, what a Christian option for socialism might look like, um, lots of information about, like, organizing and different sort of, like, liberation theology ideas, Um and what I really, really appreciate about them, though, is at the end of each one of those readings, is like uh, a group discussion guide. So it's like this at the end of all the readings, there's like a thing that's like, um, what what type of vocations did your grandparents work in? Did they like them? Like how how did they interact with the means of production? And like you know these like uh, discussion questions that are supposed to move groups towards having like a more Uh, nuanced and radical understanding of labor in the United States Uh, it's so cool because it's basically just like I don't know uh, socialist literature for like Christian Sunday schools it's kind of how it feels (laughs) Um, it's really rad though Uh, if you follow me on Twitter uh, you can see a lot of the pictures uh, I've been tweeting about it Uh, I basically just been like I opened the book and it's just full of these like amazing drawings and like crazy essays and uh, lots of good stuff (laughs)
0: Uh, i love that so much because it reminds me a lot of what jody dean was saying a while back when we were chatting about the people's congress where she had mentioned that leftists kind of suffer from having this really strong aesthetic which is fun if you're a leftist but really alienating if you're a regular average person (laughs) which is not what you want Uh, that's no way to build a movement so she had mentioned at that time like one reason that they built this society for the many manifesto that was used to organize the people's congress was that it really tried to appeal to everyday struggles and put it in language that could be understood, you know, without having to have a master's degree in like political theory or something. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind of the same idea, right? Like asking somebody to think about what their grandparents went through in their jobs or what their parents felt in their own jobs is a really cool way of asking Christians to get in touch with labor questions that are personally meaningful to them. Um, I just feel like that's such a useful strategy and it helps. I mean, you know, I'm victim like so many other people to uh, getting wrapped up in just the polemics of leftism and kind of forgetting that there are real average people out there. And a lot of those real (laughs) average people are Christians. So it's pretty amazing that there are resources by Christians that try to, you know, usher people through that process and conscientize them in an important way.
1: Yeah, uh, I think so. Well, on that point about uh, there actually being regular people out there, <laughs> which, which is a good thing to keep sight of, um, uh, yeah, real people do exist. Huh. Um, there is this kind of interesting thing um, that Kathleen wrote that is, uh, she just characterizes it as an analysis of the Christian left. So, right, real people do exist out there, and like Christians for Socialism want to find way wanted to find ways to like reach them. Um, so, Kathleen like employed like I don't know like real political theory to kind of like analyze what types of Christians exist for like a quote Christian left um and she kind of creates this taxonomy um I think this taxonomy might be helpful too for us to think about uh I mean how it plays out today for sure but also it kind of tells you about the people who might have been orbiting around Christians for socialism and also just uh people who would be participating so I'll I'll uh, I'll kind of uh read a little bit here and we can talk about each of them yeah. um Um, So this is an analysis of the Christian left that is a little bit after some of the other stuff we just talked about. Uh, It's from 1984, uh, but it's still Kathleen Schultz, the woman that we talked to this morning, uh, making this analysis. Okay, so she says, uh, within the U.S. Christian left, there are four broad tendencies that can be identified. Uh, Okay, the first politically labeled center-center Christians includes both uh, Protestant and Catholic liberals within mainstream U.S. denominations. The sector of concerned Christians consciously recognize the breakup of prevailing consensus and the uncertainty of the present moment, but are unable to provide creative leadership, whether theological or political, uh, in the present period. Okay. Um, Okay. So that's that's the first category, center, center Christians. Uh, That's a funny way of putting it, but uh, we know the types. (laughs) (laughs) They still exist. Um, Okay. The second major category is that of the center-left Christians whose activity is based in anti-capitalist critique within a social democratic framework, while still heavily oriented towards official structures of the traditional party type and the official church channels and teaching. uh, These Christians seek to develop a left program from within them, Politically, this means within the Democratic Party, political action committees of the labor bureaucracy and other organizational expressions of the liberal progressive coalition within uh, the black minority and women's communities. OK, we also know these types of folks, too. They still exist. The, the center left Christians. These are people who, like, uh, read Sojourners and uh, I don't know, are big uh, Shane Claiborne fans, I suppose. Maybe not. Maybe Shane Claiborne. That's maybe mis- mischaracterization. But. Um, you know, He's I'm probably
0: about. a little further left, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe like another step. We'll
0: we'll give you that one, Shane. You can have <laughs> it one for free.
1: You can. It's fine. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. And the the center left Christian. Also, it's important to note that uh, it is explicitly anti-communist. Um, yeah, that's so right. Worth noting. Okay. Um, the the third one is just called. She just calls the Christian left. They are the socially committed and have begun a more thoroughgoing critique of capitalism and have begun to develop an alternative ecclesial and theological awareness. However, they are unable to project alternatives ideologically, organizationally, or programmatically. Their activity in the main takes the form of prophetic denunciation with symbolic resistance. Okay, so maybe that's more of a Shane Claiborne kind of way. Yeah, I don't yeah,
0: know. 100%. Well, she, go- she goes on to, uh, to talk about that specific group. as She says... As Christians, a strong lifestyle emphasis in their social commitment can easily translate into a new piety and a practical anarchism, uh, which often pervades their critique and practice.
1: Right. Yeah. So um, it's good, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, about a lifestyle politics, I think, not uh, organization. A final category is that of the politically committed Christians characterized primarily by revolutionary left practice um, and socialist political commitment. For tactical and uh, strategic reasons, given the fact and nature of repression in the United States, this commitment may not always be public. While often finding their voice and perspective greatly marginalized within churches, they orient their practice both politically and in relation to churches and the religious field through the use of Marxist analysis. They work to develop a stronger materialist reading of the Bible and a more developed critique of the role of churches and of the Christian sector within capitalism. Okay, I'm going to read a little more because it's just really good. These Christians are widely active in the anti-intervention slash anti-imperialist movement, as well as on many other fronts described earlier. Their their analysis of issues and the role of the churches, along with their organizational capacity, gives uh, this sector an influence disproportionate to their numbers, but important for the information, uh, analysis and leadership needed in broader coalitions in which all sectors of the Christian left are engaged. Okay, so I read all of this because it kind of gives you a feel for like the types of Christians who are orbiting Christians for socialism and who like are kind of involved in the Christian left broadly or less so. Um, so those four categories, I think, are kind of instructive in thinking through um, maybe the different uh, different placeholders for uh, Christians on the left generally, um, from liberals all the way to people who are actually Marxists. Um, you can see sort of like a, a little bit of diversity in in the ways that they hang there. Um I guess the the important note note here, though, is that really the people who are involved in Christians for Socialists, though, are, I guess, probably anyone from like center left to the radical Marxists and probably erring more on the side of the the Marxist Christians um, specifically. Uh, But what strikes me, though, is like those kind of categories still work. Pretty well today, I don't think that there's much of a difference actually um between Christian left, except that maybe uh that that hard the hard left uh the Christians making materialist analyses of uh of situations probably exist less so than they did uh during the height of Christians for socialism,
0: yeah, or at least they're not organized quite as uh, readily or handily as they might have been back then,
1: yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild. I feel like the taxonomy definitely holds up, and it's useful as a way of thinking through. I mean, we've struggled over the course of this podcast, I think, to kind of sort these categories out in implicit ways. So it's nice to have them made explicit. Um, I really think it's important that Kathleen in particular tries to cordon off all these things so you can kind of see them more clearly. Like, revolutionary socialists, for example, are not doing the same thing that say the catholic worker is doing which isn't to say that it's a bad thing but uh it's just a different way of thinking through how christians should be politically engaged and it's fascinating that christians for socialism really took up it seems like a pretty intentional stance having been influenced by the revolutionary socialist moment in chile and trying to think through what that might mean in a place like the united states so in addition to the United States, though, one interesting thing is that Christians for Socialism in North America also expanded to Canada. And there's a lot of dialogue between those two countries, which is very important, I think, because people don't often think of Canada as a, uh, a place in need of radical socialist movements, not in sort of common discourse anyway. And specifically, it showed up a lot in Quebec and Quebec has a strong history of Christian and Marxist dialogue. There's a lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, we mentioned Gregory Baum died a while back, and he was a very important figure in this whole thing. He was kind of a um, Christians for Socialist Quebec type of guy, uh, totally worth checking out if you haven't yet. But anyhow, uh, they the Christians for Socialists had their first international meeting in Quebec in 1975, uh, very shortly after the coup in Chile, and uh, there's a pretty important document that came out in a journal called Social Scientist. And it came out in English, which is also extremely helpful. Um, And in that, they come up with a sort of general statement where they articulate their vision of capitalism, which they view as a transnational problem. Um, They also talk through liberation and what that might look like in a real kind of socialist paradigm. And then they close the document talking through what uh, people of faith might bring to that and how they might understand these struggles in their own kinds of language. They talk about building a people's church. They talk about practicing faith. They talk about what they call, uh, I think the most fascinating thing I saw was what they call a twofold fidelity. Hmm. So uh, fidelity to the church, they say, and fidelity to the people. So um, I don't know. That just seems like quite the paradigm to build a movement around.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Here's a weird question. I don't know the answer to it. Maybe it's not a great question to ask right now. (laughs) <laughs> um <laughs> so uh the people's church though is an idea that i really like uh there's another uh another pamphlet we can talk about i think some other time that uh kathleen gave us called seeds of a people's church um and uh it's i guess more about this idea uh about the people church the people's church um and uh as, as an idea to organize around i wonder if it uh the people's church though is the type of dual power kind of idea in terms of politics hmm.
0: that is a good question I don't. Yeah. I don't have an answer. But okay, it's a good let's, question. us
1: not then? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but I think it's worth asking, actually, and it's worth looking at this particular movement as a maybe like an experiment in dual power, like Christians for Socialism, in particular. Uh, the dual power stuff. If you also haven't listened to the episode we did with George Taguere uh that's what kind of got us thinking more about this. And there's a lot that happened in Venezuela, for example. You know, places that george was looking at where dual power did take on a kind of theological hue um and i don't think it's too unreasonable to assume that there's something like that happening uh maybe in ambition if not necessarily in actual material realization in terms of christians for socialism i mean maybe that's putting it too strongly but it seems like the case
1: yeah um on the one hand uh they uh christians for socialism goes to pretty great lengths to uh, explain that they are neither a political party or a church, but at the same time, maybe, maybe it's not like a dual, maybe it's not dual power in the sense of like building another church, but it definitely is building a different type of polity. Um, yeah, that's right. And like a different, a different kind of like appropriation of symbols. Uh, that's like a big theme throughout the sort of literature that we're kind of seeing here is that, um, like taking, taking back the symbols of Christianity to, uh, to mean something more revolutionary and more anti-capitalist has been like a huge part of like sort of the exercise here. Um, for example, I mean, there are tons of different, there are tons of different examples of this happening in, in, um, in uh, the literature that we are reading, but um, I think there's a sort of explicit, um, an explicit thing going on where they're always trying to take a, a Christian symbol and kind of turn it in a way. Uh, so mm-hmm. for example, um, in, uh, in there's one essay that I think is, pretty noteworthy that I liked a lot. Um, it's, uh, the essay is called singing the Magnificat with the poor by J. Russell Chandran, who's, uh, I guess an Indian scholar, uh, is what he's talking about here. Um, so he's talking about the Magnificat and using that as a symbol uh, sort of for uh, resistance to uh, global capitalism and imperialism. Uh, he's, he's uh, The essay is specifically about uh, the ways that uh, Asia as a continent suffers from U.S. imperialism. Uh, anyways, uh, one of like the best lines from the entire essay that kind of proves this point or demonstrates this point about the reappropriation of symbols is where he says... Um, we must teach people to sing the Magnificat and affirm that God comes to put down the powerful and to lift up the oppressed. It's uh, I mean, there's actually like really very little um, like appropriation of sim- symb- like symbolism there in the sense because like <laughs> that's like actually what the Magnificat says. But uh, putting it in that way exactly, I think, um, makes makes it uh, a tad more radical and it appropriates it uh, in a way that I think is pretty helpful towards the understanding of liberation and uh and what it is that mary is talking about in that song to begin with
0: uh i think too one thing that's important to emphasize that you were just saying is that they aren't a party and they're not a church and they're actually not trying to replace either of those things they're really intentional about saying that and drawing that home um they are trying to be faithful to both of those impulses, the church and the and the parties uh, that they, the various members are involved with um, in a pluralistic kind of way. And uh, I think that reappropriation of symbols is such a good way of negotiating that difference, right? Because they're trying to find a way of um, bringing their world together, uh, both these symbolic worlds, both a kind of leftist symbolism and a Christian symbolism. And this goes back to uh, one thing we talked about last week too, that, there's one way you can look at Christians for Socialism, which is to see it as a kind of cynical appropriation by the left of, you know, a very powerful cultural expression like Christianity, and uh, just a just a way of using people's faith or something to promote an alien agenda. But it's actually much more importantly authentic than that. Like these are Christians who think that by virtue of their Christianity they should participate in organized leftist politics and vice versa as leftists they feel like their faith actually has something to inform uh their praxis so uh that use of symbols just seems like such a good example of how those things come together
1: yeah i think so um more on that point i suppose um okay in uh the radical religion journal uh i mentioned earlier uh, Kathleen has written kind of like a history of uh, Christians for Socialism and sort of uh, some of its development. And uh, man, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Uh, the minutia of which uh, probably isn't sort of the best thing for a podcast. Um, but <laughs> but there is some like really good and uh, uh, really interesting um, ideas that we can kind of draw out here. Um, So one of the things that I really appreciated about this history is that it also lists not only sort of like when which conference happened and when uh, which Christians for Socialism delegation went to Cuba, even though that's super cool. Um, They also just note sort of the theological orientation that is uh, backing up a lot of Christians for Socialism. Um, So, for example... Uh, Kathleen writes that Christians for socialism seek to make their concrete commitments and struggles for a new society, the center of the reflection, practice, communication, and celebration of their faith in Christ. So uh, this point here, I think is echoing what you just said, Dean, that like um, this is not a cynical appropriation so that like uh, they can, you know, dirty communists can somehow like gain a foothold in the United States, but it's like an actual expression of their faith. And it's like authentic and, uh, You can't just like chalk it up to uh, it's like Soviet propaganda or something. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And even further, though, uh, Christians for Socialism begins to reread the Bible from within a class based commitment. They hear God's word and subversive power, challenging the exploitative and uh, dominating structures of the of the global capitalist order the middle-class captivity of the churches and the ideologies of submission present in the Christian doctrinal and ethical teachings. So um, even even here, uh, you you see that like sort of like openness, I guess, to actually dealing with the Bible in some different ways um, through different hermeneutics that I think that we can really appreciate. Um, I also really like this phrase um, about the middle-class captivity of churches. Um mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, still a pretty relevant idea uh, where uh, churches are rarely churches for the poor. Um, Something that we've seen throughout the history of uh, like the social gospel in the United States, even when we talked to Heath Carter, that was like kind of a reoccurring theme that these churches in Chicago were uh, always churches for the rich and rarely for the poor, you know, only marginally sometimes.
0: Right. Uh, I think, too, it confirms uh i feel like this is like uh, inadvertently becoming uh like a klipsha magnificous klipsha but uh, <laughs> i was thinking about uh the time we've mentioned this before but uh when we talked with derek about herbert mccabe and mccabe mentions this concept about uh the new reformation if there's going to be a new reformation he says it's going to happen along class lines because doctrinal differences are not nearly as important as they once were in the mm-hmm. sort of first reformation 500 years ago And I think it's appropriate to look at this movement as something like that. I mean, there's a a real ecumenical basis, right? So Methodists and Catholics uh, can produce a a sermon book together because it isn't really uh, what they believe about the nature of the church necessarily that separates them so much as what they believe about the injustice of the working class uh, exploitation that is uniting them, Um or the injustice of that exploitation that's uniting them. And I think that's a really fascinating thing to see this as a kind of reformational moment, right? They're critiquing uh, middle-class Christianity, and they're viewing this as a, as a way of trying to move the church to a different, um, a different paradigm, a different kind of framework. And that seems to confirm, I think, McCabe's uh, right sort of identification of uh, if there was going to be another reformation, it would, it would happen along these kinds of justice lines.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting way to think of it, actually. Um, one kind of interesting difference, though, is that, well, okay, I mean, Reformation, I mean, taking the word literally doesn't mean anything necessarily negative, right? It's just a reformation. But uh, in the history of the church, the Reformation is usually looked at, looked upon as something, like, you know, pretty negative. At least, I mean, if you're Catholic, it's negative. I guess if you're Protestant, it's, like, very <laughs> cool, Um I don't know. But uh <laughs> right, it's like the idea that like uh the Reformation, uh in terms of like Luther's Reformation is one that is like schismatic. Um whereas this one is actually the opposite. It is a reformation that is hmm. uh unifying in the sense that it's like pushing Christians who uh ought not necessarily be together together. So that's something that's interesting. That's
0: right. Hmm. I like that. I Christian that unity I was a key legend. Yeah, yeah, I know. I wish I, <laughs> I wish I was a theologian so I could think about that, but I can't. So someone else. Can think about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: I guess it could. You could. You could argue that it is actually divisive because uh, it's socialist or whatever. But, um, but wrong. But that's actually a yeah. wrong opinion.
0: Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, one other fascinating thing that we've learned in this research is uh, so Christians for socialism naturally organizes around working class politics that shouldn't be too surprising and you might also not be surprised to find out that working class politics sometimes leaves out other forms of oppression uh, like sexism like racism etc so uh, one fascinating thing about this movement is they held a conference in detroit or at least uh, they participated in a conference in detroit called theology in the americas there were two of them The first one was mostly based around kind of a a class liberationist uh, issue. Uh, The second one, however, was uh, mostly intentionally led by people of color and uh, non-traditionally white male authority figures. And it's pretty fascinating. Uh, There are some reports that you can find. There are a lot of documents that have been collected from that particular conference uh, people like James Cone were there. Cornell West was there. Uh, of course, Kathleen was also there and a variety of other folks. But uh, I think that's really fascinating too because Christians for Socialism was actually really intentionally trying to move away from a class-only or class-reductive uh, stance toward leftist politics. And I feel like that sort of stems from uh, them being involved in theological conversation. You know, liberation theology, uh, I think to its benefit, um has these multiple streams of liberation going on it's not just class it's a variety of uh, things that christians need to kind of work on to be liberated from and to liberate others from and i just i thought that was such a cool thing to learn that um people had intervened to try to steer christians for socialism away from uh losing sight of those multiple lines of oppression and, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how successful they were at doing that or not, but it's pretty neat that they tried uh, really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's also
1: worth noting, too, that since uh, there's such a strong resonance between Christians for Socialism in the United States and like solidarity work with uh, Latin American uh, Christians and socialists, um, that like a lot of that decolonial perspective is kind of baked in before it's actually articulated mm-hmm. sort of very formally. Um I mean all throughout the literature there's all kinds of um different references to uh colonialism and anti-imperialism. I mean it, it's it kind of comes out of a uh, a very like sort of marxist leninist lens. It has that kind of tinge to it, but still it's uh it's decolonial in a pretty important way.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um so maybe we could move to talking a little bit about how the organization came to an end. Uh This is somewhat sad, but actually not nearly as sad as you'd think. Uh, It did not end in a coup. That's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's very positive. Uh, (laughs) um, What was so fascinating, we, we asked Kathleen this question, you know, how did it fold? And she mentioned that one cool thing about Christians for Socialism is that they could rely on their local chapters to pay dues time and time again. She said it was pretty rare that people fell behind in their dues and toward the end it was harder to kind of keep a membership and it was harder to budget as a result of that um and she says over time they just kind of realized that it seemed like their time was coming to a close uh reagan had been elected as we mentioned earlier um the country was moving toward the right and they were just sort of unable to sustain that energy but the way kathleen talks about it it almost feels like they felt like they had done a lot of good work they were proud of themselves and they went on to participate in other local struggles elsewhere just not under that same banner um so it it's sad that it's gone because it is amazing and very cool and achieved more than so many other american christian movements especially and even international ones uh but it seems like it it ended in such a positive note such that it uh, it kind of naturally encourages you to to wonder about you know um, if there was such a positive spirit, how might one do such a thing again?
1: Yeah, I think that's um, a pretty interesting idea to start playing with um, I mean so far, we've spent a lot of time looking at sort of the historical aspect of this and reading some of the the important like uh, theological works and political essays that came out of the movement. Um, but it's a little bit of a different idea to shift gears and think like, how might this actually work again? Were Christians for socialism to kind of come back? Um, to me, it seems like kind of a, an easy fit. Like um, if one of the contributing factors to uh if one of the contributing factors for Christians for socialism sort of ending was the election of Reagan and sort of a move rightward, I think what we're seeing now is like um, the election of uh, someone who is who is as equally bad or if not worse than Ronald Reagan and um, a move leftward uh, from people and kind of reaction. So maybe, maybe the time is right. I, I think that, uh, I don't know, man, socialism is popular again. People love it. The kids love it. Millennials, they're all about it. <laughs> They love the, they love the socialism uh, <laughs> they love they love Snapchat and they love socialism, and that's about it, I think um so maybe the time is right,
0: yeah, I think so It just seems like there's so much interest in socialism now. I mean, since we've done this podcast, it's like I feel like we sort of started out on a whim as an excuse to hang out and an excuse to get some things off our chest and just explore things with other people and learn things we didn't know. Uh, But as we've gone through, we've gotten so many emails and tweets and connections from folks who felt like, you know, this is something that I didn't think was possible. I didn't know that Christians could be leftists. Uh, I thought I was the only Christian leftist. You know, all these kinds of emails uh, wondering about um, where is the Christian left in the United States. And uh, I don't think I would have anticipated as much uh, response to a project uh, like this as we've gotten. And I can only assume that uh, something more than a podcast, something like people actually organizing and being out and uh, doing that as Christians could only really gain steam at this point. I mean, that's more optimistic than I'm prone to being, but I uh, I just I'm going to hold on to that right now. I feel like I, I need that for a minute. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, when we first started doing this, I thought like, oh, man, this is going to be one of those really niche podcasts that are just like, uh, you know, like five people listen to. And like one of them is like maybe your mom something. (laughs) Um, But uh, I don't know, man. We have almost a thousand Twitter followers who are saying something a little bit different to us, um, that maybe there's something more here. So I don't know what that something more is or what it looks like, Uh, but maybe we collectively can think through it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've got a box of books. Uh, we have a box of pamphlets now. That's pretty good. Um, we have emails. We, we've got emails with Kathleen. Uh, we've got her phone number. We're going to try to get her on. And, uh, maybe we can just keep imagining for a little while together, what it would be like to start something like this over again. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that, uh, there is an opportunity to have Kathleen on the podcast. And one thing that Matt and I thought would be interesting is, uh, If folks could maybe like email us or tweet us questions that you might have for Kathleen, uh, we could put those together and send them to her and see if she would be interested in answering those uh, on the show. Um, It just seems like an opportunity to learn from somebody who's been in it. I mean, she's a nun, so she's a very Christian lady. Uh, but she's also a socialist. She was the president of Christians for Socialism or the secretary for like a decade. So it's like, we might as well ask people who've already done it.
1: Yeah, there's no point in reinventing the wheel here. Like, uh, it seems like there is a wheel that already works. We just need to like, uh. Stand that wheel up again. I don't know. This analogy is not going anywhere for me. But, <laughs> but the wheel exists, man. The wheel is there. We've all
0: got to get in the in the hamster wheel of socialism and just uh, roll it together. <laughs>
1: That's right. Okay. So maybe this is what we should do. Um, okay. So uh, as we're wrapping this up, if uh, you guys are out there and you're listening to this and you're feeling in any way energized or motivated by this idea of uh, Christians for socialism, just like... Tweet us at what you think this looks like what are the uh, what are the issues that Christians for Socialism could uh, organize around? Uh, what does Christians for Socialism look like in 2017? How popular would it be? uh I don't know, other things as well Tell, tell us what your thoughts are, what your feels are
0: um so yeah hopefully in the future we'll be able to get kathleen back and we'll chat with her soon uh we are gonna return to like our regularly scheduled programming i guess try to find some guests that we can have on and it won't just be us talking all the time reading articles and relaying them to folks but uh this was just like a very important digression for us i feel like it was a good way to imagine what it would be like to do something concretely positively uh to build something different and it's something that we're imagining and thinking through and it's something that i think would be greatly helped by a variety of other kinds of christians other kinds of socialists also thinking it through um so yeah we we may not do like another episode immediately but maybe down the line and uh hopefully um as things pan out uh it will all become clearer more materially real
1: All right. Uh, thanks for listening to the Magnificast. Um, hopefully, this episode uh, energized you enough to get at us on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Magnificast. Send us all your thoughts and tweets about Christians for Socialism for sure. Uh, make sure you follow us or whatever on SoundCloud. Uh, like and review us on iTunes. And if you are feeling especially charitable, give us some money on Patreon. That's really nice. That's a nice thing to do. Okay. Cool. So here is the illogical spoon to play us out.